I talked about paying pastors last week, and it feels a little weird to be saying that. It's like preaching to the choir, really. I think a lot of you guys would definitely say, yeah, pay pastors, pay people that work as a living in ministry. Let's pay them. Let's, if we can do it, let's pay them all. Of course, we're a small church, and we can only pay a couple of us right now. Paul went through this eloquent argument, just like a great defense attorney, and he just stepped us right through, boom, 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 why we should pay those that make a living by preaching the gospel. And it was just perfect point by point. And then comes verse 15. So if you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 18. Verse 15 starts by saying this, it says, But I have used none of these things. I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will I have a stewardship entrusted to me, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so that not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So what he does here is he switches gears, right? He totally switches gears on us. He puts this eloquent argument out there that you should pay those people that preach the gospel. They should make a living on it. And then he says, you know what? Church in Corinth, I don't want your money. I don't want your sympathy. You can't give me back pay. In fact, I don't want you to give me back pay. I don't want you to pay me at all. Why? Because I want to brag about it. Right? And this isn't an arrogance of himself. This is an arrogance of God that God allowed him to be in Corinth for a year and a half and not get paid a dime from the church. So he was a missionary to the church in Corinth. And he's bragging about it. He's like, yeah, I was there. and didn't even get paid by you guys. And he knew that his reward was not on earth, but it was in heaven. His reward was in heaven. It talks about that here. He was compelled to preach the gospel. It was something deep down inside Paul that he was compelled to preach it no matter what. No matter what his pay was, no matter what the conditions were like, no matter if he had a bed to sleep in, whatever it was, he was compelled to preach the gospel. And that's the same thing here at Windsor Community Church. You kind of got us. It's only two of us here are paid part-time to be here, but it's because we are compelled to preach the gospel. It's something deep within each one of us that we want to do, that we want to preach the gospel. And we take great joy and satisfaction in being a minister of the gospel and to be able to bring forth your word and and to work in this church. We take great joy and satisfaction in doing that. Paul, no matter what circumstances were, he preached the gospel. No matter if he was persecuted, mocked, if he was beaten, thrown in jail, it didn't matter. He was compelled to preach the gospel. And there was someone very similar to Paul, and his name was Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. And if you know the story of Jeremiah... Poor guy had no converts virtually his whole life. And that God told him to say some pretty tough stuff to the nation of Israel. He kept telling the nation of Israel, man, you guys have got to repent. You've got to turn back to God or you're going to get wiped out. You're going to get totally destroyed. In Jeremiah chapter 20, 
he talks about this, that he keeps having to speak for God. And he keeps having to say these tough things to the nation of Israel. And one of these circumstances he's in, he's just gotten beaten, mocked, thrown in jail. And he's just about had it, right? He's just about had it. He's like, God, I cannot do this anymore. My body can't take it. I can't take many more beatings and, and times in jail. And he's ready to get, really give up on God and give up the job of the ministry. But in verse 9 of chapter 20, he says this. But if I say I will not remember him, I will not remember God or speak any more of God's name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary of holding it in. And I cannot endure it. It's like a burning fire. He said, man, I'm undone. I'm not going to speak for God anymore. But once he said that, Oh no, what happens inside him? It's like a burning fire. He cannot stop talking about God. It's like what the apostles said in Acts. They could not stop preaching and talking what they seen and what they heard. And so that's what you have here for us in Windsor was we cannot stop talking about God. So we're going to talk about what Paul did to give up his rights to become a missionary. He gave up his rights of comfort He gave it all up for the gospel. So we ask you this question today. What in your life are you ready to give up to further the gospel? So we're going to talk about today what it means to be a missionary. Paul was a missionary. And what does it mean to be a missionary for us here today in Windsor, Colorado? And what do we need to do in giving up our rights to further the gospel? And I am excited about this passage of Scripture. I'm very excited about it because this is my mission verse is in this passage. And my mission verse is verse 22 where it says, To become all things to all men so that I might save some. And so I'm pretty excited that God ordained it that I would get this part of Scripture to preach on today. We need a first look at Windsor and what Windsor is all about. And what does it mean to be a missionary in Windsor? What's this culture like in Windsor? Well, we've lived here about seven years. We came here when the church was planted. And we've lived in northern Colorado for about 18. And and Sue and I have lived in Colorado pretty much most of our life. So we have a pretty good read on what the culture and life is in Colorado. I looked up some statistics about Windsor. Many of these are not real shocking. Okay. The first one is we're not very racially diverse, ethnically diverse community. Wow, go figure. 92% from the 2000 census are white. 92% of people in Windsor are white. The next statistic is that the average income and the average home price is more than Four Collins, Loveland, and Greeley. Probably no shocker to you that are paying your mortgage right now. You know it's high. So it's a wealthy community. And one thing I found interesting, though, is almost 6% of this community lives below the poverty line. So there definitely is a need in Windsor. And then the next is that we're well-educated. 92% of the community has a high school diploma, and 40% are college graduates. So we're fairly well-educated. And then most of the community, 72% of the community, is families. Go figure, right? (laughs) I mean, all you have to do is go to the rec center on Saturday morning or Eastman Park during soccer season. You know there's a lot of families in Windsor. But we're a bedroom community. 
Most of you here probably don't work in Windsor. You probably work somewhere else. And then I couldn't find any statistics on this, but just working with the youth a lot, I've seen some other things about the community. And there's quite a few number of divorced families, the dynamics of a step-parent or a single parent that go on in Windsor. And we've been working with that in the youth. When we planted this church, the Evans family said, we are moving to Windsor. We wanted to learn about Windsor and this community, so we moved to New Windsor, and we got to know our neighbors, and we got involved in the community. We, Sue and I coached swimming, and Sue right away coached at the Kara Swim Program, so we got to know people in the community, and I coached at Fort Collins High School, and the moment there was an opening at Windsor High School, I came over and coached at Windsor. That's what this shirt is, as I coached for Windsor High School swim team. And so we got involved in the community, and we coached basketball and soccer and whatever we could do. We got involved. We go to, to basketball games and football games. And now we're part of the Windsor Triathlon Club and the Biking Club. And so whatever we can do in the, in the community, we try to get involved in the community. We ask, why do you do that? Why do you do all these things? Well, it's because of this verse. So we can be all things to all men so that by all possible means we may save some. So we became a missionary in Windsor. We dug in and got involved in the community. So i got two questions for us today that we're going to go through and talk about in these verses. And it's the whole overarching theme is about giving up your rights. Because Paul gave up his rights. Chapter 8, he gave up his right to eat meat for the weaker believers. In chapter 9, he gave up his right for money to make a living from the gospel. And today we'll see how he gives up the rest of his rights, his lifestyle, the way of living, his preferences to meet people where they are and understand the culture. So these two questions are first we'll look at is what does it look like to become a missionary in Windsor? And that's the heart of this passage. It'll be verses 19 through 23. And then the next thing we'll talk about is how do I become a missionary in Windsor? And that will be verses 24 through 27. And I say Windsor because that's what we are. We're Windsor Community Church. So some of you I know are from Loveland or Fort Collins or Severance or some other area. And you are reaching out to your communities. But for us as a church, we're looking at Windsor and how we can reach Windsor in this community. So if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's start in verse 19 and we're going to read through verse 23. Verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I ask for a blessing on this time. and that you would fill me with your spirit and help me to get out of the way and put you on display. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to know what it means to be a missionary, 
to Windsor in our communities and what that looks like. And Lord, learn from the example of Paul and what he did to die to himself, to forgo his own rights so that he could reach them, so he could win them, so some may be saved. Lord, teach us what it means to give up our rights. And Lord, we know you gave up all your rights. When you came to earth, you denied yourself everything, a home to be in. You denied yourself being praised and honored like you should have been as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you died a criminal's death. You denied yourself even the right to have a a death that should be honored. You denied it all for our sake. So we pray that you'd speak to us today in a mighty way and encourage our spirit and that when we leave today we would be more like you and we could be a missionary to our communities. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, when you guys think of a missionary, you probably don't think of a missionary in Windsor, right? You think of someone that prays and fasts and then they go away to school for years and they study and then they learn the language and the culture where they're going to go to, and then they spend years raising support to go to that country, and then they go thousands of miles away to become a missionary, right? That's our typical view of a missionary. Well, today, God's Word is going to equip you to be a missionary the moment you walk out those doors. A missionary in your communities to people you live next door to and your co-workers and to people you interact with every day. You're going to become a missionary from these verses. And I'm excited about these verses because this resonates in my heart. This is what gets my blood pumping and the Evans family's blood pumping is to be a missionary in our community. And so the first concept we're going to talk about is what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it look like to be a missionary? Well, the first thing that Paul did is he became a slave to all. He became a slave to all. And he gives us three examples of what that looks like. Three different cultures that Paul interacted with. He gives us great examples of what that meant. First culture was the religious culture. The Jews. Those under the law. And that's what Paul himself was. He was a Jew. He was from the Sanhedrin. He was the Jew of all Jews. He was a Pharisee. So he loved these people. Though he was saved and under the law of Christ, he gave up those freedoms and he put himself back under the law just to to be with them, to be in their culture and not be offensive, not to be a stumbling block. So Paul would go into a town. The first place he would go was where? The synagogue, the temple. He would go hang out with the Jews. And he'd take his Old Testament scripture. He would dialogue the Old Testament with them. And he'd eat kosher food, I guess, and do kosher things and do the traditions and the customs that the Jews would do. And he would go under the law. He would completely submit himself to the law. And he would be like a Jew to them. And then when the time arose when they would speak of a prophecy of that Jesus fulfilled, he would speak up and he would talk about that that prophecy, guys, was fulfilled. And your Messiah came and that man's name was Jesus. And he fulfilled the prophecy and he died for your sins and mine. And he rose again on the third day so you could have an eternal relationship with him. And what did they do to him? The majority of them gave him the boot, right? They were hacked off. They were ticked. They'd kick him out. They'd stone him. They'd beat him. But some of them got saved. And there's a growing movement today of 
of folks that are interested, even in the Christian movement, that are interested in the Old Testament. And they're interested in Jewish tradition and Jewish culture and what Hanukkah is and the Seder and the Old Testament prophecies, how they foreshadow and look towards Christ. And that's great stuff. It's very good to dig into the Old Testament scripture and see how Christ fulfilled those. But it becomes unhealthy when you put yourself back under the law. And we know of folks that have gone from becoming Christians to becoming Messianic Jews to then becoming a Jew and putting themselves back under the law. And that's unhealthy. That's going backwards. Paul talks about this in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, he says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Paul put himself back under the law, gave up his freedom that he had in Christ, not to become a Jew, but to point him back to Christ, to point him back to the Savior, not to go back under the law, but to point him to faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then the second group is really the other extreme, if you will. It's the non-religious, those not under the law, the Gentiles of the day. And in this chapter, he's talking about the Greeks. And in Acts chapter 17, he paints this great picture of what it looks like to be a missionary in the Greek culture. He went into Athens in Acts chapter 17, and he hung out, and he tried to understand Greek culture and what it was like. And he'd walk around, and he'd talk to people, and he'd observe Greek art and statues. And he observed all these statues to their gods because they had many gods. And in Acts chapter 17, he sees that there's one statue to an unknown God. And a lot of the philosophers in their day were interested in Paul, and they liked to talk about philosophy. And Paul had this new philosophy, so they thought. And so they invite Paul in, and he gets this divine appointment with all these well-known men of the day, philosophers of the day, in the Areopagus, which was a gathering of all these well-known, respected philosophers in Athens. And so he gets to go in there, and they're asking him about what all of this philosophy is. And so in Acts chapter 17, verse 23, he says this. It says, For I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. How cool is that? You would think, well, maybe he... He'd go into the Greek culture and he'd bring his Old Testament scriptures. No, he didn't do that. He goes in and he meets the Greeks where they understand on their level with things they relate to. And they related to their gods. And so he talked to them on their level with their gods. And he pointed out, well, there's a statue and there's an unknown God. You don't know who it is? I know who that is. And I'm going to tell you who it is. And so he starts with that unknown God as the creator of the universe. And that unknown God became a man. And he came down to earth. And he lived a perfect life. And he died for you and for me. So we could have an eternal relationship with him. So he would segue to the gospel with things that they understood in their culture and their lifestyle. And then the last group he talks about is the weak. 
or the new believers. And he talks about that a lot in chapter 8, how he would give up his right for meat just to meet them on their level. And this too, I think, can be for seekers, for people that don't know Christ. I have a friend of mine who's kind of a seeker. He calls himself spiritual, but he doesn't really know Christ. And he's a vegan, which means he doesn't eat any meat. He doesn't eat any animal products at all. And so when I'm with this friend of mine, he's actually my best friend from high school. I don't eat meat, and I don't eat animal products. So I know I'm free to eat it, and I love to eat meat. I forgo that because I love this man. I love this brother. And I give it up so I won't be a stumbling block, so I can open up and share the gospel. So what does this mean to us in today in our culture? Well, for me, this is where I got my mission verse. When I went into youth ministry, they said, Danny, you've got to have a mission verse for youth ministry. So I thought about it, and I went right to this verse, saying you become all things to all men so that you may save some. And if you guys know youth, that is a mission field. And that is definitely a mission field. And so when I'm with the youth, I try to dress like the youth. I try to understand the youth. I try to talk like the youth, understand what an Xbox and a PlayStation 3 is, what emo and indie music is, and try to understand their culture and what my space or your space or whatever space you are on that day. So I try to understand and engage with them in their culture so that I can talk to them on their levels and look for segues to the gospel to talk to them. And also, we just joined a book club in Windsor. And we don't go taking our Bible into the book club, right? Just like Paul didn't go into the Greek culture with his Old Testament scripture. We don't go in walking in, yeah, we'd like to read the Bible for our book club. They'd be like, punt these people. Now, we, we go into the book club with open hearts and open ears. And what are they reading? Because I will guarantee you, whatever book they're reading, secular, whatever it is, there's going to be a segue for the gospel in there. I'm sure there's going to be, and I haven't read them yet, but I'm sure there's going to be a segue somewhere to the gospel. If we just open our hearts and listen to what's talking, I'm sure there's something in there that the Spirit will lead and speak to these people. So I'm excited about that. Now let's look in the scriptures at why, why did Paul do this? Well, it says five times over and over again that he did this to win them. To win them. And we'll talk later about an analogy towards being an athlete. And then finally, in verse 22, he says, he did this to save them. He did this to save them. I pulled this verse 22 out of the message, and it says it really well. It says, I have become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message or the gospel. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it, right? He wants to be in on it. That's what Paul wanted to do. So Paul, he knew the life of Christ. He knew what Christ did and how Christ gave up everything. He knew how far and how deep Christ went to reach the lost. Paul wanted to be in on that. He wanted to be a part of that, sharing the gospel. In fact, Paul loved his Jewish brothers and sisters so much that in Romans chapter 9 he said this. He said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He, Paul himself, loved the Jews so much. 
he was willing to give up his own salvation. His own salvation. Man, I know for me, I'm not really to give up anything of myself. And Paul was willing to give up his eternal relationship with God because he loved the Jews so much. He was broken hearted for him. He loved him. Before we get to these last two verses, we need to talk about something. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 talks about love and knowledge. All right, the differences between love and knowledge. And that's kind of what's happened in our church today. We have the conservative side of our church, the contenders for the faith that are full of knowledge and they know the scriptures. And then we have the liberal side of our church who is all about love and loving people, but they lack the truth and they don't have as much knowledge. And so I've used the analogy of two dogs. So we've got a lot of dog people in here? Okay. A lot of cat people, maybe, huh? <laughs> well, I'd use an analogy of two dogs. The first one is the pit bull, and the second one is the lab. And let me, I bet you guys could guess who the pit bull represents. Represent the knowledge side, the conservative side. And if you guys know of a pit bull, a pit bull is mean and nasty, right? And they just, rah, 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 they attack everything. I mean, you come in their yard, blah, 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 they just attack you and chew your leg off. And they're just mean and nasty, and they could care less about you or anything about you. You're in their yard, and they're going to chew on you, and they're going to do whatever they can to get rid of you, eat you alive. And even some pit bulls are so bad, they attack and, and, and hurt innocent children because they came into their yard, and they should probably just be shot and put away with, right? And that's why a lot of communities today don't allow pit bulls because they're mean and nasty, and they train them to be even meaner and nastier. And that, I'm afraid, is what happened, what has happened to our conservative side, that we've become so full of knowledge and contenders for the faith that all we do is attack, Attack when it's wrong. Well, we know our apologetics, and when someone's saying something wrong, blah, 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 we attack it, and we say it's wrong, and we put them down. We don't care about that person. That is false, and that needs to be taken down. We don't care about that person or anything about them because we're going we're gonna to stand up for the truth, right? And that's what the pit bull does, and that's what kind of our conservative side does. Now, the other extreme is the liberal side, which is kind of like the lab, How many of you guys have a lab, Labrador Retriever? Okay. You know they love you, and they love to lick you. Okay? They love you and lick you, and they walk around all day, oh, loving and lick you, loving and licking you. I want to love you, and I want to lick you. And they're all over your face. You go over to see them, and they just lick you up. And so you could be robbing somebody's house, and if they got a lab, the lab will come up, oh, oh, let me help you with that TV if I can play with you, and I can lick you, if you'll throw the ball for me because I love you. And they're all about love. And that's what the liberal side is. They're all about love. They love serving people. And they have soup kitchens. And they serve in the missions. And they just go to people. And they love people. And it's this wonderful thing. But when they have to stand up for the truth, they don't do it. You know, Jesus being the only way, ugh, that, that's tough. I don't want to say that. That might hurt somebody's feelings. You know, I don't. I just can't say that. We want to be inclusive. We want to be tolerant to everybody. And so they won't take one on the chin for the team, right? They won't stand up for the truth when it's right. They're in there loving people like Christ did. But when it's time to stand up for the truth, they're not there. 
They're absent. They've watered down their faith. They've watered down their theology. They've watered down the truth. And so they don't take one for the team. So we want to be in, in between, right? We want to don't be on one extreme or the other. We want to be in between because that's where Christ was. He walked in between. That's where Paul was. He walked in between. Jesus said in John chapter 15 that we are to be in the world but not of the world. What a high calling that is. And that's what the calling is for everyone that wants to be a true missionary to the gospel. That they need to be in the world but not of it. There's many of us that say, okay, I'll be in the world, but they look like just like the world. And when sometimes people come around them, they hanging out with the lost so much, they start to look like the lost. And some people that don't know Christ, they go, oh, that person is a Christian? I didn't know that. And so they look so much like the world, they didn't even look like Christ. And then there's the other extreme where we don't do anything to do with the world. We'd rather stay in our church and stay in our community group and hang out with believers all the time. And oh, I don't want to be with non-believers. They might cause me to sin. And oh, and they're, I just don't want to go there. And so they're not even part of the world. They're like a monk mentality. And so Jesus did both of those things. That's what Paul did. He walked that line in between being in the world but not of the world. So how do we do that? That is a tough calling. Well, Paul doesn't leave us there. He gives us an analogy. He gives us something that we can relate to. And that's of the analogy of the athlete. Now, Paul, as I've said before, I think was like ultra stud, ultra marathon man. I mean, you look at a map where this guy went in the time he went. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. He went from... Jerusalem to Antioch through Asia Minor into Europe and then all the way to Spain at one time. And he didn't do it just one time. He did it like four times. And some of the times he took a boat, but the boat never made it. So he was out there swimming, right? You know, if there was a bike, I'm sure he would have rode it and he would have been ultra triathlon Ironman guy. I mean, he does it all. I think he was enthralled with the athlete. I think he was just mesmerized by the athlete and when he was in greece he saw the olympic athletes and what they did and the training they went through so let's look at verses 24 through 27 on paul's analogy of what an athlete was and he uses this numerous times in his epistles and this is the one he uses here in verse 24 through 27 he says do you not know that those who run in a race all run But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do so to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So, this next one is how. How to become a missionary. And the first thing is discipline. And the next thing is self-control. And to be an athlete, you must be filled with discipline and self-control. To be a great athlete, that's the only way you're going to survive and make it is with discipline and self-control. And so the athlete goes into strict training. They regiment their diet. They regiment how much sleep they get. 
and they exercise a lot. They're in strict training. And they obey the rules. The Olympic athletes during Paul's time, if they didn't meet the requirements, they would not get to compete. They did not meet the training requirements before the games. They didn't get to compete. And so they were called disqualified. I'm in swimming, and I'll use that analogy. If you don't swim the stroke right, you get disqualified. It's called a DQ. All right, you get disqualified. So you need to obey the rules and do it by the rules. And the next thing is they deny the flesh. They deny the flesh. And great athletes have to deny their flesh. And so instead of becoming a slave to their body, they put their body under submission to their will. They don't get to eat junk food and pop. And a lot of times at the high school, we make them stop drinking pop during athletics and stop eating junk food. And so they got to drink juice and eat fruits and vegetables. And they got to watch their diet and what they intake. Because if you don't eat the right things, you're not going to perform the way you should. And in swimming, a lot of them don't get sleep. You know, they have to get up early. 5.30 morning workouts, so you better go to bed early. And so they deny yourself sleep. And on the weekend, you got early morning meets, so you got to get up early and you got to go to bed early. So you deny yourself the opportunity to go out, probably hang out with your friends and be up late. So you give up a lot of things. You give up a lot of rights that other people have, a lot of pleasures of life. You have to give them up to be an athlete, and that takes discipline and self-control. And Paul talks about that you do this to win. Why does he do this to win? So in the previous verses, he says five times that he does all these things to win, to win, to win. And then he talks about this again with the athlete. Why do they put themselves through this? Why do they deny themselves the pleasures of life and, sum, and submission of their body? Why do they put themselves through such strict discipline and have self-control? It's to win the prize. Now, we know in the Olympics it was a wreath back then, and now it's a gold medal. They win the gold medal. They deny themselves all these things to win a gold medal. But we know that's a perishable thing that will not last. But for us as Christians, we strive to win something that is imperishable. If you reach out to your friend, your coworker with the gospel, and they accept Christ... You have something imperishable. You have a reward that's imperishable. They will be with you for eternity in heaven. That is a wonderful reward. I don't think there's anything better. There's no gold medal in this world. There's nothing in this world can offer that's a better reward or gift than knowing that you are part of seeing someone spend eternity with God. So run in such a way that you may win. To be a missionary to our community, it takes self-control. It takes discipline. And that can only come by being filled with the Spirit every day. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, that you're, you're, you're talking about kind of a works thing. That, well, we've got to really work hard. And to be a good athlete, you do have to work hard and you have to be disciplined. But it's really a spiritual discipline that Paul is talking about. That you've got to meet God. You can't just lay in bed and expect him to just come and pull you out of bed and go tell you to share the gospel with someone. You've got to meet God there. You, when he prompts your spirit, you've got to meet him there. If he prompts you to get up early to pray, get up early to pray. If he prompts you to go talk to somebody 
that you've never talked to before, and you need to go to do that. See, Jesus, he wept. He wept for the people in Jerusalem. It says when he was over the city of Jerusalem, just before he went to be crucified, he wept for them. He was brokenhearted for them. And Jesus' mission statement, if you were, is in Luke chapter 19 where it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. So a question for you today is, are you brokenhearted for the lost in Windsor? Does your heart break for them? I tell you what, if it doesn't, just go walking on the campus of Windsor High School. Your heart will break for these people. I was there, and I'm there a lot, and I see kids that are in depression and loneliness. Kids that have made bad choices, and now they're teen pregnancies. and They're mixed in drugs and alcohol. And they're just seeking the pleasures of life. And that'll make you brokenhearted. If you want to just be brokenhearted for this community, there's a lot of things to do. We did the great giveaway about a month ago. So we're about 30 days into this, guys. So we gave out $3,000 to this church body, which is exciting, and $100 bills. And a lot of you guys have those $100 bills. And you're praying about what to do to reach the, your community. And there's been some really neat ideas, and I'm excited about what God's doing with that money. And if you need more ideas, just let me know. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do. There's a lot of things with youth, because there's a lot of need with youth in this community. And I just heard about there's a welcoming committee that you can be a part of in the Chamber of Commerce where new people, you can actually go to their house with this welcome packet through the Chamber of Commerce. And so there's a lot of ways to serve in this community. And I've heard a lot of great ideas to to do work with charities. And if you do work with charities, I say you, you don't just give them the money, but you get involved in their life. We want this to be a grassroots movement, not from the top down with just programs, but we want this to be you guys owning these things, where you go in and you get involved in people's lives. And we don't want this $100 just to be one thing where you just, okay, we checked the box, we did our $100, whoo! Okay, we're not like the guy and the parable of the talents that hid his money, at least we did something, right? Now we want this to be something that starts a spark. Starts a spark for continual things in your life and a continual heart for the lost and a continual heart and passion to share the gospel. We want you guys to be like Paul was, to be compelled to preach the gospel, to have a burning fire within your heart to share the greatest news this world has ever got to offer and to be brokenhearted for those that don't know Christ. So, are you willing to become all things to all men so that you may save some? Are you ready to reach the community of Windsor? Father God, I uh, thank you for your word. It is so strong and so powerful. Thank you for the example of Paul and how he went out of his way, how he gave up his rights for his preferences and his habits and his whole lifestyle. He gave it all up, Lord, for you. He gave up his right to be comfortable for you. 
for your good news, for the greatest news in the world, that you, Lord, came down to earth and lived a perfect life and died for wretched sinners like myself, for every one of us. You died for us. You loved us so much that while we were still sinners, you died. And you bore the wrath of God upon yourself so that the wrath of God, we would not have to experience the Lord's wrath, but we would be under your grace. Wow. That's unfathomable to think about. That we deserve wrath, but you give us grace. So Lord, let us think about and dwell upon and pray about those around us that are under the wrath of God right now. They're walking dead. They're under the penalty of death. Lord, make us brokenhearted for those people that we would get out of our comfort zones that teach us to give up our rights and our preferences so we may save some. In your name, amen.